Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Sword, 11warriors.com. Bo and Johnny, as we tape on a presidential Monday. Before we get into all the <laughs> topics, your favorite president uh, of the United States is whom, sir? Oh, Lincoln, easily. It's it's not even is close. Is he the most consequential American of all time? He's close. I You know, I think George Washington, given what he did in the revolution, and then what he did as president, establishing all these precedents that we still have today. No, I mean, the only president to really try to run for a third term was Teddy Roosevelt, but it wasn't law that you could only run for two terms until after FDR. So, like, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt and his fifth cousin FDR, you know, obviously was elected four times, and then yeah. it actually becomes law. But the reason why these these uh, presidents didn't try to go for three or four terms until those guys was because of the precedent that George Washington said. It was just out of respect for him yeah. because he said two terms and I'm done. So that's George amazing. Washington that entire time out of, out of respect. Yeah. George Washington that's definitely awesome. has a claim. Abraham Lincoln has a claim. I think you'd say the same about Thomas Jefferson and a lot of the founding fathers, but um, yeah, they're high up there. They're really high up there. I had um, somebody a lot smarter than me who I cannot recall who it was, but it seeped into my my brain at some point during some watching of Ken Burns' Civil War or some <laughs> reading yeah. of something, and it was it was about Lincoln, and it said uh, the reason that they went with Lincoln over Washington, and I've always used it as kind of my answer to that question, was because Lincoln preserved the union that Washington created, and because the Founding Fathers did not, not tackle the issue of slavery, uh, and he had to, um, right. and, and so that he preserved the union that they founded and, and tackled an issue that they, they did not. And, and so, um, that I thought always thought that was a pretty damn good answer to that, to that question. Yeah. I mean, I'd agree with that. I think one of the reasons why I find Lincoln so fascinating is because not because he was a perfect person or anything like that. Cause he wasn't, he wasn't some, he, he, he would have hated the Lincoln Memorial because it was exactly what he knew he wasn't, which is this monolithic, amazing person who never did anything wrong. But what I love about Abraham Lincoln was his capacity to change over time. I mean, he, he started the civil war with a scheme to try to like deport all black people from the United States and send them to colonies in Africa and Central America and his last public speech by the end of the war was advocating for uh, black veterans of the Civil War to have the right to vote. So, yeah. which you know, establishes them as citizens. So I just I think that's unbelievable that a man like that could do that much change in that short period of time. I also love the fact that we have a tower at Ohio State, you know, with his name on it, in part because yeah. of the Land Grant Act that was signed during the. Uh, the Civil War during his administration. I just think that's everything that he did is just endlessly fascinating because it's a reflection of both him and what the country was going through at the time. And it's, yeah, he's he's real high up there for me. My favorite was uh, not because he's the most consequential, but probably because he didn't have a chance to be was Teddy Roosevelt. I just think his yeah. his life story reads like, it's just like the grandest of fiction. Yeah, it's almost like an maybe. Indiana Jones. Man. It's almost like an Indiana Jones movie. Like it's even better than that, except it's real life. And, He's he just seemed like the most fascinating fascinating man. He unbelievable life. His uh, I actually just taught about him in, in my history class. His mother and his first wife died on the same day, within a few hours of each other. Right um, on Valentine's Day, which is terrible. And right. So it's he, it sends him to the West for years because he just it can't deal with it. Uh, he discovered a tributary of the Amazon, which nobody thought existed, and almost died doing it. Uh, gets shot you know, and in, in, in the middle of a speech and continues talking for an hour and a half with a bullet in his body and, and bleeding Amazing. out. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, he just an insane absurdity. <laughs> he went blind in his left eye because he used to box in the White House and somebody had attached his retina in a, in a bare knuckle box. It's amazing. See? Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the, the Rough Rider stuff, the Out West stuff that's yeah. always near and dear to my heart because You're I grew ridiculous. up in Montana and, you know, the national parks and he spent so much time in the Dakotas and uh, he's just a, his, his life is so fascinating to me. Last so. thing on this, right. I know we got to get to sports, but yeah, yeah. Oh, especially well, you, you being Mon- from Montana. It's the off season. Well, have you seen the Ken Burns uh, National Parks documentary? Yeah. Okay, I have. Yeah. I love it. America's greatest ago, idea. Yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. it's so cool about him talking about like John Muir and, and Gifford Pinchot mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It, I, if people haven't seen that and they're within the sound of my voice, please do yourself a favor. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Check it out. It is just such an amazing, wonderful, and, and honestly, in my opinion, kind of emotional um, homage to the really one of the greatest ideas America's ever had, which is the preservation of the natural world for everybody and not just a yeah. specific, you know, company or group of people. I just, it's awesome. So yeah, definitely I can tell you that too that, that we are, we are going to the parks at a rate with never which before. Yeah. People love them. From a, yeah. I've known this from a fact because uh, the last two summers, you know, I obviously I live in Montana and we always, I always go to Glacier and we, we went to Yellowstone, but took the boys into Yellowstone last year. And when I always, sit, you know, talk to the Rangers or whatever, and I go through and both had had uh, both Yellowstone and Glacier did their biggest year on record. And it was the the previous record was the year before. Right. Like there's there's right. almost not enough room in Glacier right now for all of the visitors that they get over the course of a summer. Um, so there is there is popular as they've ever been, which is just I mean, it's awesome. It's just awesome that we've had kind of this re, you know, reinvigoration of the parks. And they're yeah. great. I mean, you're not going to do better. You'll have the most fun. So and they're all great. Like I, we, you know, my wife and I took a trip down to Mammoth, uh, Mammoth Caves down in Kentucky, and it was just, it was amazing. It was incredible. Like, it's, yeah. You know, and, and they're all over the place. They're they're amazing. I mean, there's one in Ohio, uh, up near uh, Cuyahoga, I guess is what it is. It's where um, I live. I live on yeah. the valley. Yeah, I, I, my land butts up to it. I lo- I walk right out of my land right to it. It's fantastic. So yeah, I I will say that it's quite a bit different than Glacier. <laughs> yeah, I would it's imagine hard, slightly. It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. I don't mean to besmirch. I mean, I choose to live here, but <laughs> I, I, I I cannot believe that that those are those things are classified the same. That's I'll fair. say that. That's yeah. fair. But I'm glad to be here. It's a good place. I don't mind. Yeah, I think it. if Glacier's um, your measuring stick, though, I don't know how many places would. I mean, right. that's, <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. Um, all right, let's go. Uh, we got we got some basketball to discuss. I want to talk about some of the non revenues. I um, want to talk about Jalen Marshall. Just can he's going to get a second chance? The way he's killing it in that AAF, all of that's cool. D'Angelo, yep. or, uh, D'Angelo Russell had, a, had made the All Star game. That was all cool. Um, and, and we're going to spend some time on all those things. But I want to just start with um, the accusation that I'm going to level. Um, and this is a so <laughs> 2019 accusation. I'm going to level against you because um, nothing says 2019 quite like accusing someone of clickbait. And uh, and riling people up without having first read the story, so <laughs> I, I, which is so exactly what we do now. I just That's read the fair. headline and I didn't have time. The boys were home, so I didn't have t- chance to read the story. I saw the story. Several people, like my good buddy Mark Coons, uh, quote tweeted and said clickbait, and I went, "My God, accusations of clickbait being levied against eleven warriors for saying that the Ohio State Michigan game should be should be played at night, not at high noon." And so I, I levy those accusations at you in a very 2019 uh, style without having first read the story. So, sir, 
did you or did you not? Has your site or has your site not done clickbait today? <laughs> so we're before HUAC, right? And like, have you yeah, or right. have you ever not <laughs> been, a, been been consorting with clickbait? <laughs> uh, I mean, in the past, maybe. This isn't clickbait. So here, okay, a couple things I want to say. First of all, I didn't write this. I felt like no responsibility. <laughs> Secondly, David, David, who did write this, uh, you know, and it's an off-season take. It's it's a strong take. I'm not necessarily going to say that I agree with it because I'm all yeah. about you know the noon game. I love noon games. So he um, is serious. Yeah, and I, look, I got to okay. tell you two things about this. Two things about this. First of all, all uh, I think it's not an insane take. I don't agree with it, but like the idea that you, a huge game should be played at night, like we're totally cool with that. With virtually every other game, it's not a huge leap, yeah. in my opinion. Like, I, I know, like, the tradition, that's fine. But, like, some people, like, you know, they don't have the same connection to that time as maybe other people did. The other thing, I think he lays out a pretty, uh, they got a graph. You know, David's got a really good graph. Oh, he's got a graph. Worked. Yeah. Wow. The, he's got a graph. He points out that, you know, since 1990, it's mostly been played at noon. But before that, it was all over the map, right? It started as late as, like, 3.30, obviously, in the 2006 game. Yeah. But it hasn't always been a noon game. It's 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 moved. Um mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess my point with this, that's my first point, is that David did not write this to be clickbait. I think it was a, it's a strong take, reasonable <laughs> reasonable that he's going to get some heat. You do get attention, though. I mean, you yeah. don't write it thinking it's not going to get attention. You're but in the see, business. The so we're in the bid side. So that's my second point, sports. though. That's my second point, though, which is that David did not realize that he was going to get this kind of heat. And I think he was a little <laughs> surprised by it, which yeah. maybe, maybe a little naive on his part. The third thing I actually want to add here little bonus edition i wrote an article about two years ago saying how much i love noon games and people roasted <laughs> me alive for saying it it's like how dare you yeah that's right how that's your you? deal Night you want them all bed. at noon yeah that's right so yeah that's I, got, I got annihilated for that take and i just think it's hilarious that people are coming on it's like i can't believe you would want to play the mission game tonight like what are you talking about like it's just <laughs> I, I so, think the the reason it's so near and dear is is the tradition of it, of course. Sure. But there, there, you know, of course, 06, you play in 330. If you think of the biggest games in college football, though, that have been played forever, if you think about Cotton Bowl, is always played at noon in Dallas yeah. uh, or 11 a.m. in Dallas. Uh, it's actually 11 a.m. because we played at noon here, in no, noon in the east. So it's 11 a.m. Right. in Dallas. I'm pretty sure it's always been, as long as I can remember. Uh, the Iron Bowl is always at 330. It's always in the afternoon. Um, most of those type of ones have been playing forever, usually around in the the same slot. I just think for pure sanity, you can't play that game at eight o'clock for a bevy of reasons, least of which is the weather, right? Um, I mean, let's just start there. Like the reality is, is that the weekend after Thanksgiving in Ohio is nonsense. I mean, it's never good. (laughs) It's just of what variation of bad. And then if you think of, be it in Ann Arbor or Columbus, a full day of uh, of granddad's old cough medicine as, as lubricant leading into an 8 o'clock game with sub-zero temperatures, which they surely would be. I just don't think that that's a smart mix in any way, shape, or form for that game, all just so it can look pretty under lights. Um, I'm fine if every once in a while, if it's deserving, if it moves to 3.30. I thought 2006 was pretty cool at 3.30 as it was going dark. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I don't think to me that game eight o'clock at night for, for the two reasons I said a chief among them makes very little sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, especially if eight o'clock start is functionally like an eight twenty start, and then oh, you know, especially if it's going to be a one a.m. Game. Yeah. Can you imagine people drinking all day for that game <laughs> and playing actually, at eight yeah, twenty? Because, because we see that in a lot of other games, but not you know quite not to that. like that's different though. Season. That's a different level of of consumption, and it's right. I, I just don't know how you would even. I think you'd just have people. I just think it'd be a gross atmosphere. I just think it'd be vomiting <laughs> everywhere. I just. I don't know how anybody could keep it together on an eight o'clock, especially the week, you know, that time of year, it's so cold. Yeah, I just no, it, it would be, it would be nuts for a lot of reasons. I, I mean, I think I, I, I like the intent. I understand the idea. Like you want to make it this, this kind of marquee matchup and, and yeah. whatnot. I personally, again, I love the early games. I think it's great. I, I think when you have the rivalry weekend and they're all kind of played in this sequential order and you're kind of like, you know, you can kind of, take care of your business early and then see what else is going on nationally. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because I was skeptical. I mean, maybe I was, you know, it feels weird because the younger I was, it feels like the more of a purist I was when it came to a lot of this, but I was skeptical of night games period that Ohio state was going to participate in. Cause I couldn't really, you know, when I was yeah. younger, I couldn't remember almost any night games Ohio state was in except for a bowl game. Um, but then they started doing that earlier in the season, and I went to the I went to the Texas game. Obviously, it didn't end up very well, but it was an incredible atmosphere, probably the craziest non-Michigan atmosphere I'd ever been to. Yeah, and well, those you know, when I was at the 2006 fall, game. Yeah, those early fall games, those early fall night games are amazing. Um, right, but the weather fall, does play a factor. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to discount yeah. that. And I think I'm I th- I think you know by and large they get this thing right. Um, I think the thing that I that is a little dicey to me that bugs me a little bit is when you see them playing these six o'clock nonsense games early in the season just to get a <laughs> right. better crowd. Yeah. And for funny. Big Ten Network or Fox Sports One or whatever, like that's the stuff that bugs me. Um, you know, obviously a Texas at night, a Penn State at night, a Nebraska at night early in the schedule, even all the way through the end of October, middle of October is fine. I mean, usually all the way through the end of October, it's pretty nice. You know, it's fine. Um, so, so I, I think, I think all of that I'm for, I, it bugs me. It would bug, it bugs me just as much when we play a nonsense primetime game in September to fit a TV schedule as it would to play Ohio state, Michigan at three 30. Mm, um, yeah. they both annoy me. So I don't, um, you know, I understand why it's done. We're, you know, you're going to be a big ticket always, always will be, but, uh, that, that always kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but for the most part, I think they get it right. Um, you know, you play your Penn State, you play Nebraska, you play, you know, every once in a while the schedule fits Michigan State or Wisconsin at night. But there is something about that, you know, that blue gray sky in, in late November, you know, and it and the light being on. It just that game always photographs beautifully. Ohio State, Michigan always photographs beautifully, probably because there's rarely natural. There's rarely sunlight. So you have <laughs> right. the, the perfect colors. You know, the uniforms colors are as they are meant to be seen because there's no shine off of them. Um, so it, it, it usually photographs beautifully and, and I, you know, to me, it's a noon. I, and I, I know I just want to give you a little hell. I'm sure there's nothing. No, it's fine. I mean, I do like the kids. Yeah. The other thing that I would say is that a lot of Ohio state fans, including myself for a long time, didn't want to admit this, but Penn state really is a secondary rival for Ohio state. I mean, they, they mean a lot. Sure. That game means a lot. And that's a night game. Second most most part. And I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a tradition. That's become a traditional night game. Right. Now and I'm going cool. back. I think that's great. Earlier in the season, late September, yeah. early October. I think that's a great place for that. Yeah. Next year, I think we play them right before Michigan, don't we? 
Oh, geez. I don't know. I'd have to look. I haven't seen the schedule. In a I think bit. we do. I want to say we do. I, and I and I think I'm mad about it, but I think that we do. <laughs> I want to yeah, say that's terrible I scheduling. At, I think I peeked ahead at this thing. Uh, well, I would now. Well, let me do a quick search here real quick. But I'm pretty I'm almost certain that we have them right You're before right. the You're exactly game. right. Is that, do I have it right? It's yep. awful. Yeah, that's it's absolutely works. awful. Yeah. So like if you look at next year's schedule, obviously Ohio State Cincinnati is a night game. Book it. I mean, that's a Fox Sports. That's made for Fox Sports one. Yep. Saturday, September 7th, Ohio State Cincinnati's night. Um, Nebraska on the 28th will be night because they'll they'll probably be pretty good to start. Decent chance Michigan State if they get off to a fast start. Wisconsin on the 26th of October is at night. Mm-hmm. And then the and then Penn State is the 23rd. That's what I thought. Do you think it's they awful. would make that at night? Do you think they would do that? <clears throat> no. Okay. No. They needed to flip Wisconsin and Penn State. If right. that's what they wanted to do, they should have flipped Wisconsin and Penn State to make Penn State the end of October so we could have That'll played it at night. Yeah, really I remember that. I don't know why they did that. Penn State is is the perfect last week in November, of October game. Right. That's right where they should be. Is right there. I don't know how. It's like, it seems like almost like Michigan's looking at the schedule. It looks like Michigan State and Penn State got flipped. Right. Like usually no, Michigan. That would be Michigan, exactly where they would be, especially like yeah. Northwestern and then Penn State and then Maryland. Yeah, that would be yeah. that would be the setup you'd want. Yeah, and usually Michigan State is in November. I don't know why we're playing them the beginning of October. Yeah. That it's weird that you've got either. Miami sandwiched in between Indiana and Nebraska like that too. Yeah, it's a weird schedule next year. It's yeah. it's a it's a very strange schedule for Ryan Day. Um, all right, a couple other things that I wanted to get to right the the Buckeye basketball team. This is a this is a roller coaster of emotion, right? This team because you get this dis just disappointing loss to Illinois. I saw so many people were so hyperbolic about how. I mean, imagine 2019 people being hyperbolic about like it's the worst <laughs> loss in the history of the pro worst loss in 10 years, blah, blah, easy, settle down. Not all is lost. It's not a season definer. It's a bad loss. It stinks. Doesn't stick any more worse than the Rutgers lost did, you know, a month ago. So, and there's still plenty of time <laughs> no. to get this thing right. It's a, it's, it's not good, but guess what? If you watch that game, Illinois had better guards. I mean, their guards ran circles around our guards. We had no answer for their guard play. We need a lead guard. He just happens to be in high school. It's DJ Carton, and we won't have him till next year, and they don't really know what to do with it. The other thing that has happened with this team, and it's just, it is it is the reality of the situation, is that Caleb Wesson is incapable of playing without getting in foul trouble. He really can't do it. Um, he fouls out all the time. He plays with four fouls all the time, and because of that, um, he, he cannot, he, you can't count on him in the end of games. He's your best player, and you can't count on him because he can't play with fouls. So then that bleeds into Michigan State. And boy, do we get a hell of a response in the first half, right? It's and you great. say, okay, all right. Now we're going to get our statement win. See, Illinois didn't mean anything. And that is followed up with the worst half of basketball. I've seen probably a Holtman team play. Now you're playing a great team. You're playing a great team. But you have an opportunity to steal one in their game and at least make it a game. And Michigan State just boat raced you in the second half. And it's a hard that's a hard one for me to wrap my head around. That's the first time that I went, boy, I did not see that coming. Yeah, 13, what, was it like 13 points in the second half, I think, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just, that's insane. It, absolutely insane. And, I mean, you can't, obviously, you, you like you said, you cannot rely on, uh, you know, on, on Caleb really to to be consistent with the kind of foul trouble he gets. I was, I was actually, I was listening to, like, the first part. I had to listen on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um and 
I just remember there was a point, maybe two or three minutes into the game where there was a review of a call and they weren't mm-hmm. sure like Paul Keels and the, you know, they were, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, if it was a, they were, they were going to reverse it and call it on Caleb and you just hear the dread in Keels. <laughs> you know, like this can't be happening this early. Like this is insane. And again, like, you know, Caleb, ended up being probably the best performer in general for Ohio state, but it's like, it's 12 points. It's, you know, it's, you know, five for 11 from the field, but that's, that's fine. But that's man, that is not enough. And nobody else is in double digits. The next highest score, I think was uh, CJ Jackson. who had a good first half. He had a really good first half, hit some really good threes and then just, just crapped. Yeah. I don't really, you know, it's baffling how bad they can appear on offense and the thing is you know one of the things i'm looking at the the game track and stuff and i'm looking at all this stuff after the game it's not like they came out in the second half and michigan state just started hitting threes right and it was just raining yeah. on them they, it was essentially a game with you know seven or eight minutes left right they yeah. still were in it Definitely. but then after that they just went completely flat and it's just it's it's really disappointing because you had an opportunity against a really good team to pull off a pretty huge upset and they just they couldn't get it done. It would have, would have been a hell of a resume booster. And it, if you want another common denominator, and Caleb wasn't in foul trouble in the in the Michigan State game, but it, he has been for a month and a half. And if right. if you want another indicator of something that happens every single week, it's assist to turnover. I can't. It seems like I'm sure that somebody will will be able to fix me on this right away. I don't have time to Google it, but I would I feel like every time I look at a box score for a high state basketball, there's more turnovers than assists. Yeah. I mean it's it's consistent. It's consistent. It was 15-9 at Michigan State. I want to say it was 18 turnovers, eight assists against Illinois. There just aren't they they are just so lackadaisical with the ball, which creates the turnovers, and they are so they nobody creates an easy bucket for anybody. Typically, their leading assist guy, like it's Michigan State, it was Andre Wesson with four. That can't happen. He's, a, I mean, no. he's not even a primary ball handler. He has four assists. I mean, that can't happen. And so, what you have is now you have us sitting at six and eight. You have us at sixteen and nine, and people say, "Well, you know, it's done." I mean, what are you going to do? It's done. Well, it's not done. It's it's far from done. I think five hundred in Big Ten play gets you in the NCAA tournament. I think it'll get you in. If you think about it, the Big Ten, if the tournament started today, Mich- obviously Michigan State. Michigan, Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, I think would be in. So that's seven there. We would be mm-hmm. the eighth, then Illinois the nine. And and we're really the last chance to get in at 16 and nine. The rest of these teams, Nebraska's the only other team. Well, Indiana's way down there, uh, but they've lost three in a row. They're done. I mean, it's we we are still very much in this thing. The schedule will allow for it to happen. There's no doubt about it. So they you just have to kind of settle down a little bit if you're a high state. Now you look at the schedule. You think, what do we say? Six and eight. Northwestern. Yeah. This is what this did create. Northwestern at home uh, on Wednesday must win. Yes. At Maryland, I don't think that's a must win. So now you're now you go to seven and nine. Iowa at home must win. Yeah. Eight and nine. Purdue and West Lafayette. I don't think so. That's eight and ten. Northwestern and Evanston must win. Nine and ten. Wisconsin at home to close it out must win 10 and 10 and i think you're in yeah i i that's, think that's your, your margin for error is gone 
Right. Well, that's the thing. And so I think they've got, I mean, you've got to beat one of the ranked teams right now. Obviously, you're going to sweep Northwestern. That's a given. But if you can get Wisconsin or Iowa or Maryland, if you get one of those teams in addition to Northwestern, yeah, or Purdue, which, I mean, I think that might be a little less likely, but they can, I agree. They can get those teams that they kind of score points. And it's just, that's the problem. What I see is not a team that is like, you know, there are some matchup things that you talked about with, you know, for instance, Illinois, like there was just, there was a clear matchup issue that was just not going to be resolved, but against Michigan state, you can beat Michigan state (laughs) to score points. And it's just, it's, it's aggravating because you don't see a team that's just clearly missing elements. You just see a team that's just unbelievably inconsistent. And, you know, Chris Holtman gets them to play hard, but they're just, they don't have, they don't have consistency when they need it. And in the absence of, you know, Kata Bates, Diop, you know, if you're right, if really, if Caleb is your guy that you're hoping will get you 15 points a night, that's fine. Yeah. But this, you know, it's not going to be there on a regular basis. That's, that's the problem with Caleb. It's not necessarily that he can't score that and he can't get that many points. It's that when you really need him on the court, you really like, you have no idea. It's a coin flip about whether he's going to be available or not. So, right. And you can't rely on it. And that, and that's what sucks no. about it. So again, you got to sweep Northwestern. You got to take out one of these ranked teams and you got a shot, but it's the, the margin for error is zero there. You've got to yeah. do exactly that. And if you don't, then you're done. Yeah. And I go just go at the beginning of the year. I said, be a, you know, be a bubble team, bubble in, bubble off. I don't care. They're going to be that. So this is, this is my, this is the expectation I had for them. Um, and the guard stuff just is not going to sort itself out. Like no, it's, until DJ Carton gets here, it's just going to be what it is. Yeah. Um, this brings me to uh, the, the last thing that I want to get to here out of the gates, and that is the job of – and this is – boy, we do an hour on this, and this will get comments because people get fired up about this. But um, this is the job Gene Smith has done. Now, this is a tricky one because um, I Gene Smith's legacy at Ohio State is going to be a complicated one. And there are there will be people who will always – and never forgive him for what happened to Jim Tressel and feel like he should have been fired at the same time. That's it. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. There are people that will go, yeah. to, go to their grave with that and saying that, I don't know how Gene survived that to the, so much so that uh, upon the hiring of urban Meyer, it wasn't Gene Smith who introduced him at the basketball game. It was Archie, not because Gene was incapable, but because they feared for him to be booed off the floor and you can't right. have that. So they had Archie do it. Cause I'll be damned if anybody boos Archie. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, he gets, he gets, he obviously gets no credit for the hiring of urban. Certainly not as not to hire urban as the head coach. I guess he can get credit if he wants to hire him as athletic director, but he should get, but per, and so all of that stuff can be true, but it also must be true. And it must be acknowledged what he has done in wrestling and tennis and, and what he has done in men's volleyball and what he has done in men's hockey where they were ranked second in the country and had 10,000 people. I mean, they, they played Minnesota last weekend at 10,000 people and, and they're ranked second in the country. You, you built a, a, a hockey program kind of out of scratch. Um, and, and now he's got all, the, he's got all the, the money in the world from all the boosters in the world. I mean, the Cavelli place that's going to show up for, uh, what is that, volleyball and wrestling or whoever's going to use that thing. Uh, it's, it's incredible what he's done. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge this, and that is that this man can hire people to yeah. do a job. He's crushed almost all of these. It looks like he's crushed Holtman. 
We'll find out if he crushes Day because that'll really be the legacy. Did he crush Holtman and Day? Those will be the ones that matter most. But these non-revenue sports, Johnny, he has killed it. I, I mean, I want people to think about how angry they get at the GMs and the owners and stuff of, you know, their favorite, you know, professional teams and think yeah. about like, well, why can't the guy just get the right coaches in? Or why can't the guy just make these right, you know, personnel decisions? So or these right? It's so difficult. That's why they can't do it because a lot of these guys get in and think they can and they can't because it's hard. It's, it's a really it's brutal. difficult thing to do. Now imagine being Gene Smith and not only are you essentially having that job, but you've got to now manage a bunch of different sports that you may have no real background in. I don't like, again, I don't know that Gene Smith walked into the Ohio state AD job with a really huge background and understanding like, you know, the culture of synchronized swimming or tennis, right? right? Men's tennis or anything like that. But he has adapted to the role to the point where he has been able to figure out how to get information about these sports, how to identify which people will be successful in those sports and then bring them to Ohio State and provide them the resources to become successful long-term, which is really, really hard to do. We were talking about, you know, men's tennis, right? Like men's tennis just won a national championship. We're, I mean, we, don't right. get, we don't get geeked about that because it's men's yeah. tennis. But it's hard to do. That's not Very. like a niche sport. There are tons no. of programs out there, you know, working their butts off to try to win those championships. And Ohio State's doing it anyway. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing about for me for Gene Smith is not necessarily the revenue sports, which I know everybody cares about. It's the sustained su success in non-revenue sports where it is so easy for a, another college that wants to you know specialize in that niche right they're going to put all of their resources towards that and try to be really great in that whereas gene smith has to divide his time between 30 or 32 different you know sports varsity sports at yeah. ohio state and still be successful in that is incredibly difficult to do so well it's kind of like props in the world for that yeah it's it's kind of like we're the heart we're the uh stanford of the midwest on the right. non-revenues right i mean like stan the pac-12 schools dominate these right the olympic sports the sun sports Pacto schools dominate them. And we've gone toe to toe. Like the idea that you could go, could, you know, win tennis national championships and wrestling national championships. Like those, those two things should not be at the same school. Right. Exactly. Or men's volleyball where they're great. I mean, that should not be at the same school where you're a wrestling power. Those two things have nothing in common. Yeah. Right. In fact, I don't even think there's any men's volleyball. There's no men's volleyball in Ohio. Is there high school? Not sanctioned. <laughs> I think I can't it's imagine that's that's one of the big ones. No, no, with Title Nine, I can't imagine it. So right. else. to think to be the ability to do that, you have to be able to hire the right people. Yeah. And he's done that. Yeah. And he deserves and it, some credit for that. And it's fascinating too, because I one of the things that I really enjoy about this is that I've always liked the fact that you know a non-revenue sport can get high attendance numbers and get people out to go watch it. And when men's hockey is yeah. drawing thousands of people and when people want to really show up when when freaking you know when a wrestling match is out selling you know the basketball team like i know that's not always a good thing but <laughs> which happened last situation where, right when thirteen thousand people are showing up for a duel i love that like that is awesome that's what college sports should be about people you know these kids who are putting so much time and effort into something they're never really gonna yeah. see you know financial benefit from you know most of them I love the fact that fans are getting out there excited about those sports. And Gene Smith deserves a lot of credit for creating that excitement because he's done a great yeah. job at getting people out there. And like you said, with the new facilities they're building, I'm really excited about that. I'm really, really pumped to see what those are going to look like in the next, you know, five, 10 years. 
Yeah. And, and if you're an athletic director at a place like Ohio state, you can really only do two things to get anybody to pay attention to you from a legacy standpoint, that is build buildings or hire football and basketball coaches. Right. Right. He right. couldn't build the buildings that mattered most because they were already built. So he's had to build these ancillary buildings and he's doing that. Now he's hired the two coaches that matter most. Ryan Day, Chris Holtman. Those two guys and their success or lack thereof will very much determine his legacy going forward. Because these were tricky things. To replace yeah. Thad Mata and Urban Meyer, these are that's heady stuff. You start replacing those two guys. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's unfortunate because let's say Ryan Day doesn't end up becoming, you know, the the you know, the, the next coming of Jim Trestle or Urban Meyer or something like that. Uh, I think a lot of people will say, well, that's the that's the final nail in the Gene, you know, <laughs> the Gene Smith coffin. It, like, it, it is unfair. I gave him one chance and now he screwed it up. And I just think that would be really unfair to a dude who's just created sustained success in so many different sports. Um, yep. It's really remarkable. So you're right, but yeah, that's hope- what they get judged on because that's those are the revenue sports. Those are the most visible ones. And, you know, that's the one that draws hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. But it's it's a much bigger job than that. And I think he's been able to prove that through his success. So. Yeah, th- those are the ones that pay the bills, and 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 we'll we'll we're, we'll find out. So far, they will they both look great. Ryan hasn't coached; he coached three games, uh, but he had a good good recruiting, and he looks he looks good in the job. And Holtman's killed it. I mean, I think he's killing it. So I, I think that they, it looks good at this point for Gene. We I, I just wanted to bring that to the attention. Uh, be sure to visit Eleven Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Dry Goods at Eleven Warriors And don't forget to follow the Eleven Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast time for ask us anything my friend what do you have for us tonight well if you guys would like to ask us anything go ahead and send us an email to dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast on twitter i actually this is from scott we'll we can go and kind of continue the conversation we just had just a quick follow-up let's yeah. say you need a new athletic director is it more or less difficult to find a new athletic director who can give you those kind of results or maybe a coach at a marquee sport like basketball or football I think it's harder. That's a really good question out of Scott. Yeah. I think it's I think it's harder to find a great coach because oftentimes the great coach will make the AD. Yeah, that's true. I I would say it's harder to find the great coach. There that's hard. I mean, I I always I bring this up a lot and it's because I think it needs its proper bit of attention, but the idea that at the low point of the program at the time you could go from Trestle to Meyer. Mm. I mean, <laughs> come on. I right. mean, how lucky to be in a position that this guy was waiting, right? So yeah. that's really hard. Like, I, I know for a fact, I don't, I can't say for a fact he would have gotten the job, but he would have been the choice of very prominent people. Would have been Bo Pelini. Would have been the choice of very prominent people with a lot of juice at the program at the time. And if Urban Meyer would not have been available, Bo Pelini probably would have been the head coach at Ohio State. And yeah. I don't know what that would have looked like. And I don't know <laughs> what that would have done to the program. And I think he's a fine coach. I mean, Nebraska hasn't recovered from him yet, but he's a hell of a lot different than Urban Meyer. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, he's not. I don't think he's won a national championship in uh, yeah. in 2014. Um, no, and he's certainly not bringing in the classes and the caliber no of players. Zeke, that no, Joey Bosa, no, none of that. No, so I, or even the coaches. I mean, think about it. No, Ryan Day. Right. No, Tom. Hur- I mean, that's not you know. No. So yeah, that would have looked really different. I agree with you. I you know the thing about being an AD. Obviously, you know we've just gushed about Gene Smith being so great at it. 
you do have two things that help you out a little bit. The first thing is that if you're at a place like Ohio State, it, it's not that Ohio State necessarily sells itself, but it doesn't you know, hurt that you have this gigantic yeah. public institution with tens of thousands of people and you've got these insane facilities and huge boosters and stuff. Um, and the second thing is that you're granted a lot more leeway in terms of, you know, time and the kind of pressure up, you know, at Ohio state, if you're trying to hire a football coach, they, you know, Ohio state fans expect results almost immediately. Like you have to, you know, a, a seven win season is not acceptable from, doesn't matter whether it's your first season, your second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, that's, that's just not going to cut it. So I, I think the pressure to win and be successful is a lot higher and more immediate. And I think as a result, it's, it's, you know, it's not quite as difficult to find an AD that can meet your expectations for at least the first couple of years. So I would agree with yeah. that. Um, all right. So this next one, this one's for me. <laughs> this one's interesting, especially given the, the uh, history stuff we started the podcast with. So this is from Neil. He says, Johnny, I remember that you sang on a podcast a long time ago that Robert E. Lee is not the Southern gentleman that he's often portrayed to be. Who was he then? And how did he become to be known as a Southern gentleman? Is it partly because of his portrayal in The Killer Angels by Michael Sara? Uh, so here's the thing about Robert E. Lee, just real quick. Um, I did say, so he's, in a lot of ways, he is portrayed in history and a lot of lost cause mythology about the Civil War, which is essentially like Southern revisionism. He, he's portrayed as this kind of saintly figure who was, he was dragged into the war because of his allegiance to his home state. And he never really believed in the causes of the war. And it was more about, you know, protecting his home state and slavery, blah, blah, blah. And I think what's interesting is that for Robert E. Lee, real, I think that's real quick true. on that real, yeah, real go quick ahead. on that before you, before you continue, I just want to say the other thing that sure. contributes greatly to the way that Lee is perceived is the way that Hollywood art. Oh, yeah. Everything has portrayed him as this dignified Southern gentleman, this genius. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, this, and, he, and so no. it's that if you're not if you're not somebody who took, you know, like you kind of gloss over the Civil War a little bit in United States history in high school. Yeah. Like it doesn't get, you know, there's a lot to cover, you know, there in a semester, enormous right? To cover, yeah. So until you until you take like a class in college on the Civil War, you don't you miss all of this, and so or you miss much of it. And so you just kind of get these broad strokes and much of it is painted by Hollywood and the way that, yeah. um, the way that he's been portrayed for ever really. No one's ever portrayed him. I don't think accurately. Go ahead, sir. So I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's a fair point. And you know, you look at these, especially movies from the fifties and sixties and seventies, about the civil yeah. war, like this, he's this almost grandfatherly figure. That's very, you know, just like this epitome of the Southern gentleman. And he's, he's been like built up in Southern mythology, to be that since the civil war and to be fair he wasn't like some monster he wasn't he wasn't secretly some crazy insane guy he was by all accounts a really gentlemanly person uh he had a temper that he worked control most of his life um he i mean he was considered to be one of the absolute top soldiers in the uh, united states army before the civil war he was offered you know command of all the union armies prior to the civil war but to me that's kind of the point like this is a guy who I think outwardly was very gentlemanly and, and had all these, you know, very arist, you know, aristocratic kind of airs that he had about him, but he also owned slaves and he also whipped his slaves. And he also believed that black people weren't fully humans and needed to be like essentially punished by their slave owners to allow them to ascend to a level of humanity that they couldn't attain otherwise. So I guess what bothers me about the, this, adoration of lee a lot of times that you see in, in civil war you know 
like monuments and, and things like that. I mean, serious historians don't really, you know, laud this guy anymore. But I guess what bothers me is the idea that his his polite nature like overcomes the fact that he, you know, betrayed his oath to his country and fought to defend slavery, you know, for years and led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. Like his, his him being a polite dude doesn't discount the fact that he fought to preserve the bondage of human beings. And that yeah. to me, like you're like, oh, he's so loyal to his state. You know what? George Thomas was an American, was a United States, a Union general from Virginia. He got disowned by his family because he refused to break his oath against the United States. Like they, when he died, his family didn't show up to his funeral, but he fought to preserve the Union and he fought to end slavery. And he did that because he knew that was more important than whatever BS was going on in Virginia at the time. So, yeah, I guess that's my point. I, I, Pat Thomas doesn't have people going like, oh, what a what an incredible guy. He was such a wonderful human being. But they do about Lee, who fought to preserve the most horrific institution in American history. So that's that's what gets my goat about that. It's not necessarily that it was a horrible person. It's that he fought for the worst possible cause. And that's what people should be focusing on. Sorry, I didn't I mean to go around. No, no, no. I think know. it's no, I just think it's it's just because of the way it's been portrayed, you know, so yeah. the way it's been portrayed in you know, in any sort of artistic endeavor is usually in that way. I always get a kick out of it when I, when I'm in DC and I go to Arlington cemetery and I think, Oh, pretty good, pretty good plot of land he had here. Right. You know? That's it's right. And they did that during the it's war. Nice view he had. It and they're like, Oh, well, this is your backyard. Deal with it. So you don't yeah, care. that's a pretty good view he had. Yeah, it is. It was. And that's, and that's the thing. This guy was huge. Part of the aristocracy is his wife was a, uh, uh, think like second or third cousin to um maybe even direct cousin to a george washington george like washington, family was. right yeah. yeah so they she you know they had this great southern pedigree which people in the south freaking love you know they love this idea of like a ruling class of you know aristocratic or aristocratic slave owners which is just bs because it needs to be blown up and it got blown up and that's good so yeah i don't know um by the way let, let's 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 shift to this. This is we're we're dealing with some heady things today. I, I really appreciate oh, asking questions. Last no one Game here, of Thrones right? the odds to who's going to win. No, all, no, all heavy no Game of Thrones this week. All right, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed in that. We'll see how we see how that plays out when we get closer to March and April. Uh, this one's from uh, Suncard at Suncard19. Uh, Two part question: What is more likely to happen? Players get paid somehow to play Power Five college football. Or some auxiliary league finds a way to get five-star kids to skip college and get paid. The more likely is is that the college kids get paid. I would agree. Yes, because the NFL is not going to subsidize another league, and without NFL subsidy, these other leagues can't pay salary that would make it worth a while to skip. Right. It's not yeah. life-changing money. I mean, it's you know, I'm sure it's it probably sounds like it to a lot of people, and it is. I, I'm not I'm not besmirching the amount, but. You know the highest paid guys in the AAF for three years, two hundred and fifty thousand. Not two hundred fifty thousand a year, but two hundred fifty thousand over three years. Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're Justin Fields, what is Justin Fields worth? If even if he doesn't go to the NFL, right? Even if he just plays at his look at like what's JT Barrett worth? Right, bouncing around oh. practice squads, whatever. But he comes back to Columbus, Ohio, and what's he worth? A lot. A lot more than two hundred fifty grand, and if he right. whereas if he blows or shreds a knee, I don't know if these contracts are guaranteed. The point is, is the 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 
the idea that a professional league could pay these guys enough money to in, entice them to skip if they're eligible there will be a there will be kids who who don't get the grades and don't want to deal with it who will love to make you know 75 grand uh playing football there will be a lot of kids that there will be some kids that will choose that um i don't think it'll be many that have the opportunity at least not not before uh the the power five starts paying kids now i don't think yeah. power kids are going to pay power colleges are going to pay kids 150 grand to play quarterback <laughs> not anytime soon but no. i do think that the incentives will continue to get bigger and bigger yeah Look, I, right I now we have free transfer that. we have free transfer right now so you know what so it's we talked about that last week i've seen some pushback on that from the ncaa they, they've they said that they're going to review that process because they think that it's a little too lax right now apparently so well, i'll they be settle down they yeah, settle i know down i agree yeah they don't want to fight that, that fight. plays out um it's, it's an interesting question. I don't think there's going to be anything like the USFL, right, from the 80s. I don't think you're going to see some kind of competitor league with you know kids who just want to bounce early. No. Uh, but I think it does show that the playing field is leveling. It's changing a lot. And, you know, you are going to see, I think, some incentives just because of even the threat of that or even the idea of that where they're going to realize that we've got to get kids and, and keep them in college. And, and, you know, they want to keep college football as the minor leagues of the NFL. And I think they'll they'll pay to keep that happening. Um, oh, yeah. And the, and the second part of this is just what are the steps needed to start player compensation of the power five? And I think it's just in the NCAA freak or not the NCAA, but the schools, the schools themselves just freaking out about something changing. And realizing they have to pay to stop that from happening, I could be wrong, but I think Title IX is a big problem here too. Yeah, that would play into it because, as well. Because you're trying to, so I think the first step actually has to be the privatization of the athletic departments, mm -hmm. separate from the university, separate entity. And I think, I think, pretty sure this was the way when I was down there, but it's been a very long time that the University of Florida, the athletic department, is run as a private business. That's interesting. Um, separate from the university i believe that to be true could be wrong but i believe it to be true um so that's the first thing that have to happen because otherwise when you start paying justin fields you're gonna have to play the softball pitcher because you know right. everybody's in in that college athletics title nine the same amount of money that's dispersed to football would have to be dispersed to everything else so you're gonna have right. some really wealthy you know synchronized swimmers <laughs> you know what and they put in their time too i have no problem with that they can you gotta have a problem with it because it's not it's not life right it's exactly. not life. You can't, it's not the same. Justin Fields is not the same as a softball pitcher. Like That's it, right. it's not, it's not the same. And this is the problem is, is what do you do here? Right? Like, how do you like, what, what is just, let's just play the game. What is Justin Fields worth to Ohio state right now? Ohio state football. He's going to wear number for one. Yeah. They, they only print number one in the year now. So there'll be number one and number 19 jerseys next year. You think they'll sell some ones? Yeah. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's everything. He's. I mean, like, What's he worth? But, and, and then you think about dollars? potential earnings. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, he's, he could be he he could be worth two million dollars to. He might be worth way more than that. he could be worth fifteen twenty million dollars to high school. Yeah. No, he no. I mean, no kidding. Absolutely. So because like, I mean, if you think about if he comes out and he has a Heisman worthy season, right? How I mean, he's if he has he's one in his second put year, seats. third. Yeah. yeah. So ticket and, demand goes up. Right. You can start yeah, charging those premium rates for games that don't deserve right. premium rates. I mean, that's so it's that's a really saying. complicated like issue. Um, I think the first thing they need to do is allow players to profit off their likenesses, but that's, you know, they don't know how to govern that, that though. Less likely, but 
don't know. Yeah, because they don't know how to govern off that. Like, how do right. you if you if you're going to do that? Well, how are you going to make sure that you know? Let's just use less because he has the most money in Ohio. Let's sure. just say Les Wexner says, um, "All right, I'm going to have uh, all 85 guys work for the limited brands, right? And <laughs> and they're going to all work off their li- likeness. Yeah, and I'm going to pay every one of them two hundred thousand dollars a year, right? And you guys can go recruit to that." Right. So they don't know how to regulate it. So that's what the likeness problem is, is when you say profit up your likeness, where does it end? Yeah. I mean, it, it could go anywhere. So that's, and it's just, it's a huge, it's a huge can of worms. I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. I just think there's going to be a lot of very interesting. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of incremental changes and then somebody's going to come along and just drop a bomb on everybody. And it's going to be like, it might be unionization of these players. It might be privatization of the athletic, but it's just going to be some, something game changing that's going to force everybody to kind of deal with, uh, you know, the new reality. So, because this isn't, to me, this isn't sustainable. There's got to be something that's going to change. It's going to give at some point, there's going to be a straw well, that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it will be. And I, I would think that, um, you know, initially I thought for a second that maybe the money would turn around on cable buy, but yeah. if like let's say Amazon, Facebook, and Apple decide that they want to be in the college football business, they could. How deeper? How because content? How deep are yeah. those pockets? Yeah, I mean, we always we think, well, yeah, Fox and CBS don't have any more money to spend, and they don't. They they're not making. Some of them aren't making money on the deals they have now, not with the Big Ten, but with some of the other leagues. So like. All right, how you how you making that work? Well, you think Amazon cares or Netflix? What if Netflix wants to get in the Big Ten business? They and could. all the games will be on Netflix. Of course they could. So uh, the money's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, and it, it will have to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I w- the next five to ten years are going to be really nuts with all this. So. Yeah. Um, those are some great questions, guys. Thank you for sending. That was that yeah. was probably the most thought provoking set of questions we've had in a while. So keep sending those in. Uh, you know, just keep sending them into the ask us anything. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that was excellent. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff out of you, my friend. And we will visit again next week. Yep. See you next week.